Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we are, as I said a moment ago, coming into the home stretch in our fall uh, sermon series through this uh, this book written by the Apostle Paul to that uh, early church in the Greek city of Corinth uh, around 50, 55 A.D. These things were taking place. And uh, we we are at uh, the midpoint in three chapters that are related to this matter of spiritual gifts. So that's kind of where we are located. Uh, Last week, we introduced the idea or began to talk about the idea of gifts that were really a church body. The idea of the body of Christ really is centered around that reality that each of us has different talents, abilities, uh, qualities that God has given to us. For the blessing of one another and that uh, we, we should not think that we are too lowly in our gifts to be uh, to be needed by the church. We should not think that we're too high and mighty in our gifts that others aren't needed and the importance of that. Paul continues that theme in our verses today as he speaks about this matter of love. It's a short chapter this week, so you'll probably appreciate that. First uh, Corinthians chapter 13, speaking of the power and importance And the nature of love. Let me read uh, this uh, to us. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love. I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now I see, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would allow us in these moments to see and experience your love and to meditate on the nature of your love. And that you would help us to relate that to our gifting and our unity together as a church body. And we pray this all. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's uh, an amazing thing, isn't it, to have uh, spiritual gifts. And we're going to watch a little humorous video related to this. Talents, abilities, gifts given to us by God. 
uh, even evangelism and exhortation. But uh, but sometimes we struggle, don't we, to live out those gifts in a loving way, as we see here with this uh, spoof on Terry Tate, the office linebacker with uh, D. Gray, the evangelism linebacker, as he struggles to put love together with his spiritual gifts. Here at the National Institute for Student Ministries, we've discovered a new method of evangelism that is shaking the very foundation of our thinking. It may appear unorthodox, but frankly, we're shocked with the results. We're amazed at this revolutionary idea, especially designed to boost student evangelism. Why did I want to be the evangelism linebacker? Well, let me put it to you like this. Yeah, baby! Next time I'm going to hit you so hard, you're going to fly. NASA's going to think I didn't launch a satellite. You see, as a fish was created to swim in water, as a bird was created to fly, I was created to knock people out who don't evangelize. <laughs> The evangelism linebacker deals directly with a variety of students' fears associated with sharing their faith. All right, it's all you. This house has got your name on it. I'm not ready yet. What makes you think I'm ready, though? Fear of rejection, for example. Let me talk to you about fear. Fourth and one, Jerry Rice, what you gonna do? That don't compare to fourth and one in eternity. It doesn't matter who rejects us because we're always accepted by Christ. God loves you. Get off the flow and go door to door. Can we talk to you for a minute? I'm a lover, not a fighter, baby. He loves you, but it might hurt. Sometimes I'll blow you up, but it's because I love you. Yeah, but just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I need to be out sharing my faith. I mean, ah! don't you run from me! You can't escape my class! Declare will throw you in the trash! Thanks to the evangelism linebacker, campus evangelism nationwide is up 87%. <laughs> Hey, I can't go to the outreach today. I got, I just got some more important things I got to do. Uh huh. Hey, man, give me a break. I went to church on Sunday. I gotta go. Selfishness. The world needs a message. For God to love the world, He wants to communicate it through you. If you procrastinate, you will open up the gate to a beatdown. Give me that phone, boy. When I see selfishness, it is my job to blow them up. That's what I do. I blow them up so that they can get their eyes off of self and look at Christ, the prize. What's up, baby girl? Nah, I'm busy. We're intrigued as the linebacker is particularly effective in infiltrating centers of cultural and intellectual exchange. Here you go. Here's your double cappuccino latte mocha with a twist. Not too hot, not too cold. Perfect for you. Anyway, man, did you hear that talk from that guy the other night? Oh, I know. Like, we're supposed to be sharing our faith in, like, coffee shops. Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! Shut out in the coffee shop, baby! You next? It's unlikely that the recent decline in coffee sales has anything to do with our program. Pride comes in for the fall. That's Old Testament. Old Testament, you know this. Thanks for the coffee, Darren. Hey, you're welcome. Have a nice day. Your mama raised you better than this boy. Don't let me blow you up no more. You see, I think it's fitting because when people have pride, if they're too prideful to share their faith, what I do is I knock the pride out of them. What I would like to communicate to my brothers and sisters is this. 
when you least expect it, around the corner, perhaps even under your bed, I can be in a phone wire. I can be everywhere and just know that I'm always watching. Ready to lay the boom on you, baby. Booyah! Ouch. Are you ready for game day? Well, uh, our friend D. Gray uh, struggles a bit with uh, expressing love with his uh, emphasis on spiritual gifts, doesn't he? Good message about evangelism, maybe, uh, maybe not the most loving approach to it. The, uh, the scriptures uh, talk to us in a serious way, of course, about, about these matters and really do speak to it here in 1 Corinthians as we see this, uh, this main idea highlighted, and you can follow along in the sermon uh, notes section, that, that God's really just trying to tell us this, that because love is central to his nature, part of the character of who he is, that we should be exercising our spiritual gifts in love. That ought to be the centerpiece of who we are as a church body. You know, this is, uh, this is tough. It's not just a uh, degrade. It gets the love uh, element maybe a little bit confused. But our culture does too, doesn't it? Uh, our, our culture, love is a very trite term, right? We toss it around uh, without really having much definition for it often. Uh, it, it can be defined heavily on the emotion and feeling side. What do I experience? What do I have emotionally in that side of love? It can also, perhaps, and more likely in other cultures and other places around the world, be heavy on the duty side. Right, what do I need to do? What actions do I need to have to uh, be a loving person? And we can kind of fall into that trap either way. Uh, certainly, certainly no, uh, no bride or no girlfriend enjoys having, having their husband or boyfriend uh, show up at the door with flowers and on the anniversary or on uh, Valentine's Day and say, you know, here's some flowers. I felt like it was my duty. To bring you these flowers, right? We we realize that emotional part, that that engagement of the heart is important. But our our in our world, we struggle to kind of define it that way. And and even beyond that, we see in the in the church community, if we grew up, maybe our background experience has been what we might call hellfire and brimstone uh, churches. You say, well, the the message of uh, truth and God's uh, justice and wrath and obedience were there, but maybe the message of love was absent. Uh, others of us maybe grown up in, in other traditions or been in other traditions where uh, the message of love was paramount, but there really wasn't any idea about God's holiness, about God's justice and the need for a, a Savior and Redeemer. As uh, A.W. Tozer put it, he said, you can overemphasize the love of God when you worship it rather than God. Okay, so when we speak about love, this chapter tells us it's paramount, but it's paramount as a part of the nature and character of who God is and therefore who we should be. Uh, we probably are familiar, uh, maybe generally, with the three types of, of love that are referenced in Scripture, referred to in Scripture. Uh, eros being that passionate love, what we would call kind of romantic love. 
phileo being that uh, that friendship love, uh, Philadelphia, a city of brotherly love, that idea that we're uh, connected to one another. You have a, a peer, uh, ladies, maybe a friend that likes to do what you like to do, go shopping or do gardening or whatever. Guys, maybe you got a buddy that likes the same sports team and you sort of you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You know, we're we're friends. We, we, we like to talk about certain things. We like to do things together. And so we're we have that kind of love. It's mutual. We get something from one another. And then there's agape love, which the scriptures describe. And that's that self-sacrificing love, that love that flows really out of who Christ is, where we seek to invest and pour into somebody else simply because of who God is and because of his grace to us, not necessarily because of anything we would get in return. It's interesting with those concepts in mind then to take a look at these verses uh, afresh this week, maybe passages that we've heard, you know, this is a familiar uh, section of scripture to read at weddings and whatnot. And so we've probably uh, heard it here and there, even if we haven't sort of realized that it was part of the scriptural context of spiritual gifts and the body life of, of the church church body. But it talks in these first three verses about the fact that we can have amazing gifts, but without love, they're entirely unamazing. There's nothing at all amazing about them. Uh, read the description here again, because we might almost kind of miss the, the shock value in just trying to understand the language here. Paul's talking about this uh, gift of, of tongues and the idea of speaking in a, another a language by the power of the, the Holy Spirit. This idea of having that ability. He talks about prophetic powers, which scripturally are, you know, as much forthtelling as foretelling, you know, telling forth God's word in a powerful way, but also perhaps foretelling, predicting what would happen. Uh, faith, having faith that would be able to move mountains. I mean, that's I mean, Jesus talked about that. That's uh, monumental to, to have that a, a, a relationship with the Lord gifts that would cause us to give away all that we have. Incredible generosity, even going as far it describes here of someone that would give their life for the faith. It says in verse three, give up their body to be burned. But the Apostle Paul, it says even these amazing things that we might be gifted to do for him. If they're not marked by love, if they're not marked by love for others around us and experiencing God's love for us, then then Paul makes no bones about it. He says they're really nothing. They really don't gain anything. In fact, the tongues, he says, is kind of an annoying sound. <laughs> they're, they're lacking something uh, deeply there. Uh, one way to put it would be this. Usefulness in the kingdom does not excuse lack of character in the kingdom. Make sense? Usefulness in the kingdom does not excuse lack of character in the kingdom. This is really important for us, folks, because I'm sure this has been in all eras in all times that we're people who have a tendency to focus on the appearance, the outward, rather than seeing the inward. I'm sure that's you know been in all times in all places. But it's prevalent, especially in our time. Probably not all of us are sort of on social media, but even if we click on the TV, the same is true. But, you know, Instagram, uh, the different social media, Facebook, I'm on, on Facebook and so forth. It, it's a world where we can frequently present a certain image of ourselves or see an image of other people that's not really reality, right? 
uh, I saw some people posting three or four uh, weeks ago, I guess there was a number of women that were focused in on this story of the young girl in uh, Australia. I don't know if you all saw this story. I can't remember how old she was, 17 or 20 or some, somewhere around there, but uh, a young woman. And, and she sort of fessed up on her whole Instagram or Facebook thing. And, and she confessed that the images of her beauty that she presented on there a one that she she had to get to some of those images by denying herself food and so forth for several days in advance to to look the particular way that she did in some of the pictures. And then uh, and then the other pictures that were, were sometimes ones that she had posed for uh, sometimes a hundred times so that they weren't just a quick little snapshot she was taking of herself. They were well prepared, well staged images because it's so much for us in our culture about what we are on the outside as opposed to what's on the inside. And the Apostle Paul is saying, even if outwardly you've got spiritual gifts, things that come from God, and love's not the center of it, then something's off kilter. Something's off kilter. Where are you and I in those things today? As we talked last week about the challenge to kind of identify our gifts and use our gifts, the next step is that are we using those in a way that actually flows out of love? And it's with a heart of love. Or is it just the appearance on the outside that we're focused on? Second thing we see in these verses is that it, it doesn't, you know, leave us hanging. It doesn't disappoint. Again, the challenge in our time is we talk about love. But we don't really have a definition for it. It doesn't have any shape. It's somewhat formless. So we can, you know, aim at nothing and we'll hit it every time. The Apostle Paul doesn't let us do that. He says in verse four through seven, a description of love. And I want to take a minute to look at that. But I want to say this first, uh, in order for us to have patient love or kind love or love that endures and bears all things, you know, how, how would we get to that place? How would we be able to achieve that? We have to have an inner transformation of God's grace to reach that place. And I found this uh, statement from Dave Dravecki. I don't know how many of you raise your hand. If you remember Dave Dravecki, a few, oh, okay, more than more than a, a few. Dave Dravecki, for those who don't recall, was a uh, baseball pitcher, uh, professional baseball. I think he played for the uh, Padres and the Giants. We'll get Brian over here, my California baseball expert, to probably know exactly what years he played. But throughout the 80s, he even uh, was in the All-Star uh, game at least one year and helped his team, I think, to get to the, to the World Series one year as well. Uh, very successful in his professional baseball career. Uh, but then at, at one point along the way, they identified he was a left-handed pitcher that he had cancer inside the bone in his left arm. And, of course, they had to do surgery. He made a monumental comeback, actually, after they did surgery, but then later uh, literally broke his arm again while in the pitching motion because the cancer had returned. Uh, the net result was that they had to remove this entire part of his body, his uh, arm and, and shoulder. And he wrote these words that I thought were pretty important as we think about who we are in God's love and how that relates to how we can live a life of love. He said, a few months after I lost my left arm and shoulder, I had to face some difficult questions. I knew that a left-handed pitcher without a left hand wasn't worth anything to a major league ball club. 
Now I had to answer a huge question to which I had previously never given much deep thought. What is Dave Dravecki worth, not as a baseball player, but as a man? I'm discovering, he said, that our worth is far beyond measurement solely because of what God has done for us and in us. That was a great news to me, he said, because I always felt, regardless of what I said, I believed that my worth stemmed from my personal performance. That I, if I performed well, I was worth a lot. If I messed up, I wasn't worth much. But when I finally started to discover that my worth wasn't tied even a little bit to my abilities or my performance, but rather depended entirely and forever on what God already has done for me, my world suddenly opened up. I was free. And then lastly, he says this. That's what the worth of a man is all about. That's where true worth comes from. And to know God's infinite love is to know the full worth of a man. That's true. That's true. And that's life transforming. But it, it also is essential to us to, to begin to live out any of these love qualities in our own lives. For our love to be patient, it's got to be grounded in God's love for us already to endure with uh, for, for me to endure with your foibles and you to endure with my foibles for me to endure with your sins and you to endure with my sins and be patient in that way. We've got to have a recognition of how patient God has been with us in our sin and our frequent rejection of him for us to be kind to others. We've got to recognize that God's been kind to us, that he's turned his wrath away from us and we can turn that away from others around us. Uh, the, the element of truth rejoicing. That's an interesting part that's put in here. Love rejoices with the truth. I think that's important in our own time. Again, it's interesting, all the discussion swirling around. I'm sure we sit in different sides of it related to the uh, Syrian refugee uh, deal. It's in the news, right? We love to take one side or another, be very polar in these matters. And it's, uh, it's fascinating that, that love is centered on the truth, too. So it's, it's, it's saying, I think it's not crazy to think about how people can be safe in our society. That's a true thing. That's a true reality. And at the same time, to also think about how we can be loving and compassionate to those who are in need, right? Maybe there's a way for us to do both of these things instead of the other. So love is not just a feeling, not just an emotion. It's informed by what's true, by seeing the world as it is. Love believes, it bears, it hopes. Uh, we might have to set boundaries around us. Some of us are going to be with family members this week for Thanksgiving. And sometimes those times with family are fantastic. I hope your time with family is fantastic. But some of us have family, have friends that there's a lot of water under the bridge, right? And we love them. We really do. And we care about them and their well-being. But there might have to be some boundaries set up. All right. So love hopes Hopes for the best. I'm wishing the best relationship that I can have with those folks. But, you know, maybe there's been some damage. Maybe there's been some hurt in the past. And we measure that. But we're hopeful. Those are things that love is. It tells us here, I sound like Forrest Gump, what love is not. What is love not? Love's not envious. Why? What did Dave Gervecki remind us of? 
I don't have to be envious about you and the things in your life or your qualities or anybody else. And you don't have to be envious about anyone else either. You and I have all that we ever could need in Christ. C.S. Lewis uh, put it this way in one of his uh, uh, writings. He said, the man who has everything and has Christ does not have anything more than the man who only has Christ. The man who has everything and has Christ does not have more than the man who has only Christ. We don't have to be envious. We don't have to be boastful. We don't have to elevate myself. You don't have to elevate yourself because we've been lifted up by Christ already. We've experienced that love that Drevecki talks about. We have our worth in him. We don't have to be pushy about our love. We don't have to control others. We can let them be who they are. And lastly, we don't have to be irritable. Right? What is irritable? Irritable is like ready to get upset about something. And we can get that way, especially us parents with us. I mean, I just confess regularly. It's like I just build up and with the kids. I'm ready to be irritable. It's almost like I'm looking for a way to be upset. Instead of trying to figure out, yeah, maybe there needs to be discipline, maybe there needs to be correction, but doing even that in a loving manner. So important for us as believers. So that gives us some definition for love, hopefully, some things we can begin to pray about, begin to ask ourselves, is that the type of love that I have? Is that in my character? And if not, is there did I just not know that that was part of what love is supposed to be? Or is it really goes back to that root and I'm not experiencing my worth in Christ enough and it's handicapping me in my love for others? Last thing it says here, uh, verses eight on through verse uh, 13, it talks about and for the sake of time, we won't go go into all of it, but it kind of talks about this redemptive progression and the way that, uh, you know, tongues will cease and uh, prophecy and knowledge will pass away. So how, how, what, what lasts, what endures, what has staying power? And it reminds us that love is that thing. Verse 13, especially now, faith, hope and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Let me share a few thoughts on that and then uh, some thoughts by way of conclusion. I found a statement by one of these uh, you know, older preachers, uh, Alexander McLaren, and he says this, he says, faith, hope and love, uh, faith, hope and love. These three form the defensive armor that guards the soul. OK, so he's he's going to talk to us about how this uh, love actually helps us to live in a sinful, broken world in a, in and walk in a path of righteousness. He says it's like a diver who has his suit and is let down to the bottom of the ocean. You get the picture. Now, he's uh, writing some time ago, so he's thinking about the, the big, huge suits that are like all metal all the way around, sort of like uh, Iron Man for the kids. You can think about that, the original, the, the first rendition of Iron Man when he built the suit in the cave, you know, going down in, and then they've got the tube that runs back up where to the surface and a pump up there to keep the air going not the, not a scuba diver diver this is like the old school super duper suit diver he says he can drop down into the the welter of the ocean and the man whose heart is girded by faith and charity whose head is covered by the helmet of hope may be dropped down into the wildest sea of temptation and worldliness and yet will walk away dry and unharmed in the midst of the depths and breathe air that comes from a world above those restless surges of the ocean. 
He says, faith will bring you into communication with all the power of God. Love will lead you into a region where the temptations around you will show their own foulness. And hope will turn your eyes from looking away at the tempting splendor around and fix them on the glories above. So he says, rains will come into your hands. Rains like the rains that control an animal you're riding. He says, rains will come into your hands in an altogether new manner. You'll be able to be king over your own nature in a fashion that you did not dream of before. You'll govern. You'll be able to govern yourself when you let Christ govern you. Okay, so that love is a transforming love, right? That faith, hope and love actually change the way we live our lives out. One last um, Similar statement. This is from another fellow a while ago, Gurnall, but I like his picture as well. He says there's a day coming and it cannot be far from us when we shall meet together lovingly in heaven and sit at one feast. Full fruition of God shall be that feast and peace and love will be sweet music in the sound of it. What folly it is, he says here, for us to fight who shall feast there. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we uh, confess that we are those who, although uh, enjoying relationship and fellowship here, even celebrating it around the Lord's Supper as a church body and knowing that we prepare even now for your heavenly feast, we uh, nevertheless uh, fight so often here. Instead of loving one another, Father, there are, uh, as you know, and we know reasons for us sometimes to disagree and to divide even. But, Father, so often we do those things because of pride and because of arrogance and not really because of truth or righteousness. And so, Father, we pray that as a church body, we'd be marked by tremendous love. For one another and our families, we'd be marked by love and our friendships and that uh, we'd be in that place because we're freed up by having our values securely grounded in Christ, knowing who we are in Christ and therefore being able to set aside self for the blessing and benefit of others. Help us to love in this way. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.